You are listening to Changing the Game with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. Hello, everyone. This is Wilson Casado, Changing the Game. So we're here today again for, for a new episode of it. So I have uh, my good friend Royce Crown here today with us. So uh, welcome to the show, Royce. Thanks for having me, Wilson. Really appreciate it. So I'll make a quick introduction of Royce. So I was reading some stuff about him and I, 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 I found it fascinating. So look, Royce is everything you can call entrepreneur. Right. He mentioned that when he was five, he started this string of lemonades and Kool-Aids and food stands with eight other kids, you know, and, and doing business in the streets. Then at the age of 19, Royce had his first food truck that quickly grew to five food trucks. Uh, and he transitioned to, uh, from food carts in New York, London, France, Spain, New Zealand to helicopter transport. So a little bit of a very flash life when he uh, got his helicopter license and he started doing uh, transport between uh, land and, uh, and large yachts in, in the Mediterranean. So pretty cool. Just thinking about that, that's pretty cool. So it doesn't stop there. Uh, Royce come to Australia in 2012. He started another food company, Brand and meat company, uh, grew food trucks, shops, you know, Melbourne, Brisbane, uh, but he ended up finding that, uh, you know, hospitality, uh, the passion for hospitality was not as strong as the passion for aviation. That's when uh, Monarch starts. So, uh, Royce, I will stop here. So, and I will ask you. A little bit more, you know, can you share a little bit more about yourself? And then, you know, what is Monarch? Talk about it with us. Yeah, well, well thanks for the introduction. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, entrepreneurship started at a very young age for me. I, I kind of grew up in a household with, uh, you know, leaders. So my dad was, uh, you know, on the board of Publishing and Broadcasting Limited. He owned his own restaurants and hotels. So it was instilled in me in a young age to, uh, you know, essentially, you know, build that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, like you said, you know, at five, I had a conglomerate of uh, lemonade and Kool-Aid stands in the neighborhood. You know, I paid my, uh, my friends 25 cents an hour and I, I essentially charged 50 cents a cup. So I, I was pretty profitable in that and, uh, you know, kind of just stemmed from there. But, you know, I've always had a passion for hospitality, um, you know, and I grew up in that industry. So it was, it was something I really, truly enjoyed. Um, and I got my pilot's license when I was uh, 18, and I, I got it on a bet with my dad. My dad uh, you know, didn't think colorblind people could get a pilot's license. And I was watching a game show called Jeopardy a couple of days prior, and that was the question that was essentially debunked. So I actually knew the answer, and I just was cheeky and said, well, if I could pass my eye exam for my pilot's license, would you pay for my my, my course? And he, he accepted. So 
I went in and passed my eye exam. So we had to pay for my commercial helicopter license and um, didn't really think I was going to do much with it. Um, but, you know, it, it just turned out that I was in uh, the Mediterranean. I was applying as a deckhand on a mega yacht and they needed a pilot. Um, and I just quickly went and got my endorsement in the helicopter and, you know, ended up, uh, you know, my first paying job was flying rich and famous people to and from mega yachts in the Mediterranean. And, um, you know, and then I wanted to get endorsed in more helicopter models. So I ended up volunteering with uh, Doctors Without Borders, WHO in Africa. Um, and I, for five years, I pretty much did season on season. So, you know, uh, dry season in the Mediterranean, uh, wet season in the uh, in Africa. So, you know, they really, really interesting, really, uh, you know, great work. But, you know, again, sometimes you want to you know, sometimes just put some roots down and kind of, you know, live a different type of life. So I uh, came out to Australia in 2012 and yet yeah, started off with the restaurants and really all uh, means to an end. You know, I, I always had a plan to build what I wanted to build when it came down to software, um, hence uh, the, the beginning of Monarch. So Monarch is the uh, is software that we provide to aircraft charter operators to automate the pricing, um, you know, and with the ability to automate their pricing and their schedule, we can now externalize that into, you know, places where most people go to view their flight options. Um, and at, at the moment, they don't have the option of charter because it's, it's not automated. So that's been our number one goal for the past half a decade was to build that software system for charter operators and then the ability to expose that to everybody. So everybody can, they can uh, you know, see charter in comparison with commercial, uh, make a decision for themselves that, might be a couple hundred dollars more per person, but at the end of the day, you know, the safety of your family or the, um, you know, the, the benefits of leaving when you want to coming back when you want to, um, not being in a crowded airport, not being on a crowded airplane, all of these benefits for maybe 150 or $200 more per person might be that, that, that situation where somebody decides to give it a, a shot and, and have that experience of what private is all about. Um, it's not as expensive as it once was back in the, uh, 1980s and 90s, which is you know what people usually see is only for the rich and famous. But you know things have changed, and you know it's now accessible to more people and then a lot uh, more expensive. So I find it fantastic, man. So uh, well, look, I, if I come back to the beginning of what you're saying, talking about your dad, and the fact that your dad did, you know, himself was uh, was an entrepreneur. So the other day we were talking about the fact that you know uh, some people are crazy enough to see how uh, crazy the life of entrepreneur is when observing the dads and, and, and moms and they decide yeah. to do the same. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, to, to a good extent, that is insane, uh, Royce. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, 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 it, I think it's so true. It's really what you grow up in, you know, and part of it was because I you know, wanted to be like my dad, but the other part of it was is that I wanted to do things differently to him. So, you know, whereas my dad was second generation and essentially had it, you know, that company handed down to him from his father, you know, naturally you'd think that I would want to, you know, be the third generation and have a big company, you know, worth already millions of dollars handed down to me. But the opposite happened, actually. The opposite was I loved the way that he lived his life and I loved his entrepreneurship, but I wanted to do it on my own merit without having a handout. Um, you know, and that was, uh, you know, both interesting and complicated <laughs> when it comes down to a family dynamic. So, yeah. So you, you mentioned that uh, you mentioned that you have a very uh, got a very international background. So where, where were you born, Royce? So I was born in Canada. Um, I did live in Australia from three till seven. Um, so I was 
uh, an only adopted child um, in that uh, in my family. Um, so I came out to Australia when I was three. I was here till seven. We moved back to Canada and I was there until I was 18. Started university and I went to the U.S. Uh, and London for uni. So. So uh, where, where, where did passion for aviation come from? Well, it you know, kind of came out of nowhere. Like I said, it, it started with a you know a simple bet with my dad. You know, um, you know, I heard him and uh, you know his his buddy talking about how colorblind people can fly, uh, you know, be a pilot. Um, you know, I mean, I always had an interest in flying. You know, we pilots back in the '80s and '90s were probably uh, you know the most glorified positions, especially in North America. Um, you know, anybody who's watched the movie Catch Me If You Can would 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 would, would, would understand that. Um, you know, so there was always an interest there, but it was only um, until I actually got into a cockpit where things started to change, you know, once you've, you've experienced handling and, uh, you know, a, a vehicle that you wouldn't assume by its natural shape could take flight, you know, um, you know, that's an experience that's just worth having. And you know, it only takes 10 minutes in a helicopter to know you want to be in that, you know, uh, consistently. So, you know, it, it kind of just, uh, you know, a seed, a seed was, it was dropped and then, uh, you know, grew into an extreme passion. Yeah. You know? Interesting. So uh, I did share, uh, I think I did share with you later uh, earlier that, you know, I was, uh, that's one of my passions as well. So my passion comes more from that sort of young, uh, naive sort of mind of, you know, watching Top Gun and thinking that you can be a fighter pilot. So that, that actually took me to the Brazilian Air Force. So I actually went to the Air Force Academy and, and I learned how to fly and I, I got my private license, but that was a long time ago. So the life took me in different you know, directions, I guess. Uh, but that, that makes me very interested about your journey and, and about your venture. So look, uh, I know you have that sort of background, Canada and US. So I come from Brazil. So we live in countries that uh, you know, traffic congestion is pretty clear, a big drama. So not, not, not as much in Australia. So, but then you mentioned that you, start thinking about you know looking at congestion at m1 and 3 and say well we can we can uh make this more popular in in the gold coast so uh how, how is how that conversation has been yeah well that, that was pretty much the first rendition of what monarch was you know i wanted to test the market and see what was uh required you know the the, the unique part about Australia is that all the major cities are, you know, you know, pretty much spread apart in a very equal way. So, um, you know, that teamed up with, you know, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, which was the third highest long corridor in the world for some time. Um, a lot of major airlines born right here in Brisbane. You got set one you know, I mean, it, it's almost like an unspoken, um, you know, testing ground for aviation, but, um, you know, the, the early rendition of Monarch was, was first to be a helicopter airline and to, and to relieve the traffic in the M1. So, you know, where we had, uh, you know, people spending an hour and a half, two hours with congestion, sometimes more each direction, you know, to go to work, they live in the Gold Coast, they work in Brisbane or vice versa. You know I mean, it, it was, um, you know, I just didn't see the, the, the reason a flight, you know, in a helicopter, even an R44 would only be about 15 to 20. So I'll make a comment because uh, at, at this moment, Royce, you you a bit of a cut your sign. So you come back. So, so everyone, this is a this is a, got a demonstration of real entrepreneurship, I guess. So Royce is in between jobs in his uh, uh, business, and you know we're talking with him 
uh, while he, you know, he has a ride in his car. So let's see whether he comes back. Sorry well, about that. I made it back. So I think you're back. So yes, I apologize. My 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 my, my apologies. Oh look, I was making a comment here. That's uh, that's uh, that's actually bring entrepreneurship to reality. Seeing you, you know, as a potentially in between jobs and and you know going around to, to do the business you need to do. So and do the interviewing in between. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that, that's what it is. No, that's a yeah, that's a day. Like we uh, we we grind it out. We do a little guerrilla style marketing. We do a little a lot of in store visits. So yeah, we had some meetings with uh, some operators in New South Wales. Uh, you know, it, you know, it literally me and Adam. Um, you know, we started driving at 11 p.m. on Tuesday so that we can make a meeting in um, uh, Scone, New, New South Wales, by 9:30 a.m. So it was 48 hours. We only got one hour of sleep. You know, and and that was just a switch. Very and good. then we spent the whole day talking to operators that day. So yeah, we we, we really do everything that's needed in order to make sure it's the same. Yeah, if you want me to pick up on yeah, I think I was talking about uh, you know the the hello line from the M1, um, you know, and how you know it was funny that they had a hard time getting the memberships and and they're talking to the wives of the executive at home two and a half hours earlier every day or so. Um, you know, and we saw some success line, and we were flying you know pretty much four flights consistently every morning and four flights consistently every evening for those return legs. Um, you know, but you know, that was really uh, the pivotal point for us. It, it highlighted an extreme big hole in the charter uh, you know industry globally. Um, and no business, I guess, in aggregation or even brokering was going to be successful until that, you know, big, big gaping hole was, was solved. Um, so we took it upon ourselves to, uh, to, to solve it. Um, you know, and it's been five years, but we've, we've, uh, you know, we've done an amazing job. And I think the, you know, right now is the perfect time for us to launch our product, uh, in a big way. And, uh, operators are really taking to it, um, you know, with an extreme accurate pricing tool. Um, and the ability to externalize that. And we've got some really exciting announcements to make in the very near future. Um, but we'll, we may talk about that later. Thanks. Very good. So uh, tell me one thing, Royce. So uh, private jetting is still like, uh, still seeing that sort of, uh, you know, top end of town, you know, rich people and etc. So is the movement that you're being part of uh, going to make private jetting something that uh, that I can be part of, that you know someone else can be part of. So, uh, how 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 much this will be accessible? Yeah, well, we plan on making private aircraft in general accessible to everybody in a big way, and I think it's you know pricing is always going to be the biggest consideration, and what people probably fear most about private aircraft, especially jets. Um, like I said, it's really just the uh, the perception that they get from movies, TVs, or any you know anything that you know private jets are really just for the high net worth or rich individual with their family. But in actuality, there are many uh, parts of a private jet flight which are extremely affordable to even an economy, even in comparison to economy seat price as a straight charter. So you just want to fly from A to B one way. Um, you know, I mean, if it's for two people and you're looking at an experience, you know. Most people will look at a 14-passenger jet, and of course, a 14-passenger jet for two people is going to be extremely overpriced for two people when you break it down by a two-person, you know, on a 14-passenger jet. But there are jets out there that are four-passenger jets. You know, I mean, there are jets out there, there are single-engine aircraft, there are turboprops, 
all of these actually run at a very uh, lower rate. Um, so really it's just a pittance. Are they looking for cost savings or are they looking for, you know, place like the ability just to not be in a crowded airport? And there are answers to all of those questions within the private aviation sector. So, um, you know, one example I give you was, uh, you know, we had a, a client, a high net worth individual client who uh, chartered an aircraft from Sydney to uh, Gold Coast. Uh, you know, he, pay, he paid the rate for the full aircraft for him and, and three of his, uh, his his family members. He flown, and then the, getting the aircraft back to Sydney, we were able to get twelve backpackers on there for one hundred thirty-five dollars per seat. You know, the reason that was, uh, you know, uh, the reason we were able to do that was because the initial charter had chartered an aircraft to get from A to B. We still have to get that aircraft from B back to A, which uh, opens up what's called a redirection flight or an empty leg flight. Um, and that is essentially just a little cream on top for the operator. So the operator has already essentially covered all costs with that one-way flight um, for the aircraft pilots. You know, everything is covered. So getting that aircraft back has already been paid for. So by releasing it for a very small premium, and that's really just to cover the weight distribution and the additional fuel that would be needed needed in order to fly that aircraft with, you know, uh, the, that much weight as, as, as in 14 passengers, you know, that's where the additional cost comes from. But, you know, essentially it's, it, it opens up capabilities. Um, you know, a single engine, for instance, from, you know, Victoria to say, uh, Albury, you know I mean? That could be under a thousand dollars. Uh, you know, we were just talking to an operator, one of our uh, partner operators in, in Mackay, and he's flying to, uh, Hamilton Island and to another Island. Uh, you know what I mean? Where he, you know, his aircraft for two people, $600 each way. You know what I mean? Or six, sorry, $600 for a one way, $620 for a return. So it, it's, it's not that expensive. You know what I mean? And, especially out in Mackay or those regional areas, you know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes that's the only way to travel, but, you know, it's not as expensive as people would assume, which is why it's our job to make sure that we can get that automation in pricing, automation in schedule, and then put it up right next to what people would normally see, like a Qantas or Virgin, and then have a private option and show them that, you know, it may be $50 more. It may be, you know, $100 less. You just don't know unless you can see it. And if you can't see it, then you can't make that decision. So, you know, that's what we're aiming to do, yeah. I'm 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 looking forward to do more trips in private jets, I guess. So, uh, Royce, uh, in terms of your venture itself, so yeah, yeah. how is the how has been your journey of being in yeah. Australia? Yeah, well, Australia is a tough market. You know what I mean? So, Australia is great for testing a, a concept, especially for us. Like I said, the major cities are. are nice separation um, you know they're pretty much an hour to an hour and 10 minute flight so you know really really good in that aspect um, you know good range of aircraft uh, for our particular model um, I think the the biggest hindrance has probably been about funding um, you know funding has been extremely difficult in Australia you didn't mention about funding so can you elaborate more uh, the significance of funding in Australia for you to start monarch business and how that has been helping yeah, so I, I'd say funding's probably been the uh, the hardest part about uh, you know having a startup or you know doing a venture here in Australia. Um, you know, we've been uh, successful with angel groups. Um, you know, what I mean, and that those are angel groups from you know Byron Bay yeah, all the way down to Rockhampton, and then even over to the first side of things. So we we've been able to raise a, a little bit of money there, but. Um, you know, I, I, you know, the hard part is it's an extremely conservative institutional investment uh, scenario here in Australia. Um, you know, the VCs or family funds are, you know, they scrutinize, you know, everything. And, uh, 
you know, so even as something as, you know, they would choose a social good enterprise over a money making business, sometimes just to increase their portfolio for the, the PR, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's a, it's difficult, especially being North American myself. I know how easy it is to, to raise money in the U S being in the U S or even uh, in Canada, but you know, it's a, yeah, you, know, you take a business like ours, you know, for instance, and like I said, it's a it's a one point one trillion dollar market. You know, it's a you know massive opportunity, first movers in automation technology. Um, you know, really the first to do it. You know, aggregation numbers. Uh, you know, that have grown over a pandemic. Uh, you know, a war in Afghanistan. You know, being able to to to, to do cargo as easily as we do business. Um, you know, business travel and calculations of those aircraft we've proven ourselves over the last five years to, to withstand during those periods but still you know what i mean like to get institutional australian investment you know we'll have a you know a, a company that deals in recycling bottle you know, recycling bottles and reusing them for you know laundry that'll get a five million dollar check but we won't get that you know what i mean because it's a it's not a social good kind of um, you know business and again it's really the understanding of charter as a market so uh, you know in the u.s they get charter um here in australia they can't separate charter from scheduled services. Like if we were in a, you know, airline scheduled service technology, we probably would have raised twenty million dollars by now. But because we're in charter and it's less known to people, it's and it's almost, uh, you know, something that they just don't understand. Uh, we find that we always hit kind of roadblocks in trying to explain it. And, you know, the simplest thing that we say is that you know you have two sides to aviation. You have scheduled services, non-scheduled services. Yeah. Scheduled services are very easy to calculate. We've got to do the hard work of calculating. Any time of day, any origin, any destination, any amount of people or cargo, um, and be able to calculate those prices in a sub-second, and that's difficult. Um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that, I guess. <laughs> so, so Royce, uh, do you think that's going to change? The other day, both of us were talking with another entrepreneur, it's actually talking about uh, you know, is uh, uh, creating new aircrafts, which you know is uh, is full by. Uh, sustainable energy is no unmanned. We don't have a pilot, and we potentially be able to uh, to transport, you know, two to four people, sort of thing. Do, do you think do you think that's realistic that the industry will change for that sort of uh, uh, sort of uh, air travel? Yeah, those options are all. Uh, you know, they're exciting options. You know, there's Beetle aircraft that are energy, uh, you know, powered by electricity. You know, there's uh, unmanned aircraft. Uh, you know. All of these are, are, are really exciting, you know, exciting new innovations and, and whatnot. Um, you know, and we, you know, when it comes down to to, to our business, like we've had to forward think that way as well. So, you know, we built a calculating platform which is already covered for all the future potential uh, you know fuels that we could look at in order to make sure that our enterprise product is uh, you know the one that's going to be used even for future stuff. But you know. It, a lot of that stuff's going to take a lot of time to implement. Even if we could, you know, uh, it said have the Beetle aircraft built and, and able to run by tomorrow, there's still, you know, four or five years of implemented. You know, the scary part is, is that our kids will love it. You know what I mean? But anybody our age, you know, to get into an aircraft without a pilot would be extremely scary. <laughs> so, you know, I think they do have a, you know, a bit of a market problem as well because, you know, I, you know, it's like Tesla, I guess, you know, um, you know, there was very few people that picked up Tesla in the early days because it was uh, an autonomous driving vehicle. You know, to not put your hands on a steering wheel while driving a car is a foreign, foreign concept to us all. Yeah. Um, 
I think the uh, the other side of things is, uh, you know, like I said, our kids growing up with it, it's, it, it's like, you know, uh, look at our kids now, you know, we, you, myself, you know, even Adam in the car here, we grew up without computers, you know, I mean, or uh, unlike computers that they are today, you know, we didn't have mobile phones, we, you know, we waited, you know, four or five hours for the girlfriends to give us a call after we asked them on a date right by a hard line, you know, now you can just send a quick, quick text. But our kids have grown up with computers and it's changed everything, you know, now it, you know, schools are, are requiring for you to have an iPad, you know what I mean, and things of that nature. So, you know, our kids will love autonomous vehicles or Beetle aircraft. I, I think I would still be pretty scared to be in an aircraft that flew itself. But, yep, you know, the future is the future, and it's just making sure that you are future-protecting your own business um, and knowing so, what's, what's out there and what's coming. So you, you touch a, a very nice point. So you start talking about the kids and, you know, the, the way that the, – growing up different, et cetera. So I'd like to ask you a question about education. So it's a two, it's a two, you know, two questions together. So one is, what is that you see that you, in your own education that helped to transform you in this entrepreneur? And, and what do you think needs to change in the traditional education for the kids to be more entrepreneurial? Yeah, those are those are actually really good questions. Um, you know, I've, I've got a very unique education, I guess. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, again, my dad was, uh, I guess, an entrepreneur of his own, of his own kind, second generation, and he already had you know some pretty successful corporate businesses. So, uh, I think it was pretty much instilled in me from from early age that education is extremely important. Um, you know, to the point where you know I went to an Ivy League you know university. So. You know, but I didn't study what I do. You know, what I mean, but it does it does play a part in it. You know, I studied international finance. Um, you know, which is uh, you know, really got little little to do with flying aircraft. But you know, at the same time, from the business business aspect of it, it is extremely important that I have that education. You know, where you know uh, you know markets are playing up in the you know in the near future, or you know during things like the pandemic, and how to adjust the business to fit you know those you know financial markets is a uh, you know, always important as well. Um, but again, practicality in, 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 in schooling is, uh, you know, I know that TAFE uh, in Australia probably does a very good job in that where, you know, it's not just uh, in-classroom learning, it's actually in-classroom learning with, uh, you know, uh, you know, practical work experience. And, and I think, uh, you know, pilot training is exactly the same way. I don't think I know, you know, you, you basically have, uh, you know, your in-room in testing and, 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 you know, flight briefs, but then you have your practical get into the aircraft and get it done. Um, you know, North American uh, education isn't like that. You know, what I mean, it's it's very much classroom learning. Um, you know, it, it's a uh, very little work experience. So, you, you know, there are you know big differences between education. So, I, you know, I like the idea of uh, practical learning. Uh, you know, most people, you know, are, are visual learners. You know what I mean? So, you know, just having somebody talk at you may not get the point across. Uh, yep. You know, but being being able to do something, um, you know, and, and learn from that. Uh, you know, it makes all the difference in the world. You know, it's a, I'd much rather hire somebody who, uh, you know, would essentially have no education, but has extensive experience in, 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 what, in what they do that's, uh, you know, active for my, my business than, you know, hiring somebody with an immense education with no experience. That's, uh, that's very interesting. I don't know how much familiar you are with uh, what's going on in education, but there is a strong line that, uh, it's actually changing uh, a junior and high schooling, you know, the structure and and start to educating kids with uh, real life projects. And then you learn maths and, and you know, and English and actually working on the project. So as opposed yeah. to to be on the classroom. So, you know, uh, 
with a lecture style sort of teaching. So pretty good. Yeah. So look, uh, I I I love this uh, I love this conversation. Royce says uh, is being the disruption of the conversation is actually giving that sort of flavor of. Uh, I, I love the flavor of entrepreneurship on it because you know we're being resilient and we're being patient and you know, it goes down, goes up. We hear six percent of the message, but we but we get the you know we get the conversation that 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 has been pretty good. So uh, look, you're going to with the Monarch business. So you mentioned that you're going to uh, US next year. So can yeah, can you talk right. a little bit about that future plan? Yeah, well, the, you know, I guess one of the strongest uh, charter markets, uh, you know, in the world is the U.S., you know, and I guess the easiest way to kind of look at that is that you have uh, the U.S. and the rest of the world, um, and they're pretty much equal, equal share. So you have that little that little part of North America, which uh, does equal amount of charter than the rest of the world. So, you know, uh, it's very important for us to kind of get to that uh, region, and we, you know, we can only do so much on Zoom and telephone calls, uh, you know, to, to get operators interested. But again, it's a uh, you know, we've got our foot in the door with the U.S. and we want to keep the momentum going. And the real way to do that is is with an in-person visit or, you know, at least a presence in the U.S. So, you know, obviously we had plans to go over there in March 2020. We all know what happened at that point. Um, you know, I mean, so we've been, you know, basically put on hold for about 18 months when it came down to the U.S. market and onboarding of the U.S. market. In the meantime, over the last six months, the U.S. charter market, especially in the business sector, has increased by hundreds of percents, you know, I mean, like they are just on fire at the moment. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not as seasonal as the Europe and the UK market is. So Europe and the UK is very seasonal. You get this massive influx of charter in the summer and then the fall is very, very slow. But then you get probably halfway your summer peak to in the winter for the skiers. The same as it is over in it. So, you know, the uh, you know, if Melbourne Cup and, and, and the Polo Champion uh, uh, occupancy at those uh, venues, so you know, probably didn't see the surge that we expected to see, or that you know was pre-pandemic. Uh, you know, your your your, your Q2, three, uh, you know, probably your cargo segments, and then back to your uh, business charter in Q4. So, you know, it is a very segmented, um, uh, you know, market. APAC region and, and Europe and UK. So it's very important for us to even just have like a good year of solid revenue is to get the US and they kind of have that stream, uh, revenue stream that's uh, very consistent, um, you know, on top of the you know, amazing efforts that we've done here in the APAC region and, and Europe and UK. Very nice. So uh, what's the big dream, Royce? Oh, the big dream is, uh, you know, but again, uh, it hasn't changed since, uh, you know, anybody would have seen me pitch maybe four or five years ago, but the big dream is to have uh, private aviation right next to commercial aircraft on a Webjet, Expedia, Mix and Match, or, or any of those better search sites. You know, no membership needed to view it or have access 